Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into game night in today's statistics episode. We reap the wind and the sky when the sun is high. We sail the length of the seas on the ocean breeze. At night we name every star. We know where we are. We know who we are, who we are. A movie about games, winners, losers, scoring. It seems only fitting that such a movie would have a statistics episode accompanying it. Now, Game Night doesn't have the largest cast in the world, and in fact, I think three people uh, were actually added to the list because of Game Night. Uh, so, you know, it's not the wealthiest of, of minds to, to dig into, but there's some stuff here. There's some good stuff here. It's, you know, another good movie to come out this year, in my opinion, and I wanted to talk about it, even if it's only kind of through the machinations of my spreadsheet. That's, that's, that's quite satisfactory. So, uh, Game Night. Uh, I saw this March 3rd, 2018, and I clocked it just around 96 minutes, a little over an hour and a half, uh, especially when you factor in kind of the extended credits sequence that also uh, kind of is part of the movie. You know, it's not just credits on a black screen, it's part of the movie. And it's a 2018 film. And uh, my brief summary is regular friends attend a game night that becomes much more. Super vague, uh, but it, it's basically what happens. You know, it's if you've seen the trailers, that it's the movie becomes much more than a game night. Certainly does. I gave it a 65. Um, that puts it currently third uh, for me in the year of 2018. Uh, just behind Annihilation and just ahead of Peter Rabbit. Uh, comparing it to other films rated 65, if we look at last year's crop of movies, it falls in line with things like It Comes at Night, Marshall, uh, Oscar-nominated animated short film Garden Party, Oscar-nominated short film My Nephew Emmett, Oscar-nominated Oscar documentary short film Knife Skills, uh, foreign language film Ava, uh, documentary film Score, colon, a film music documentary, a lot of movies, um, and that's just from last year that it kind of falls in line with. Currently on Rotten Tomatoes has an 82%. That's pretty good for a comedy, particularly an R-rated one. We don't get a lot of those that are successful, at least, you know, critically successful, and this was one of them. And... I'm not as high on it as the Rotten Tomatoes percentage might be, but I I liked it. I had a good time. It was funny. It was quite funny. Um, moving on to the director, Turs, directors, two directors. Um, they're both even, evenly matched, so they'll be combined here. Uh, John Francis Daly, who, if you don't recognize that name, he played Sam Weir uh, on Freaks and Geeks. And Jonathan M. Goldstein, this is both of their second films directed together. Uh, it increases their average film rating to a 42.5. It is their only film rated in the 60s and best movie overall. Coming in ahead of Vacation, the uh, Griswold family reboot that I thought was pretty terrible. Uh, it increases their film value to a negative 1.5 and their score to a 19.75, which puts them tied with some uh, other directors like Jeff Wadlow, who directed Kick-Ass 2, 
Bruce Beresford, who directed Driving Miss Daisy. Um, William Wellman, who directed Wings, Oscar winner Wings. And Oren Moverman, who directed The Messenger, which is quite good. Uh, puts them behind... Uh, who do we got here? Uh, puts them behind Philip Noyce, who directed Salt. Gregory Jacobs, Magic Mike XXL. Adrian Line, who directed Lolita. I think that's the remake of Lolita, I believe. And they are ahead of Mark Robson, who directed The Prize, The Inn of the Sixth Happiness, Peyton Place, The Bridges at Toko Re, and Earthquake, all much older films, too, he was nominated for Best Director for. Uh, they're ranked 1,615th overall. The writer, single writer for the film, is Mark Perez. This is the third film I've seen from him, and it increases his average film rating to a 37 even. His only film rating in the 60s and best movie overall, coming in ahead of The Country Bears. It improves his value to a negative 2.5 and his score to a 19.7, ranking him 3,383rd on my writer's page. Just behind a couple of people, including Paul Rudnick, who's credited for writing Sister Act, Stephen Schiff, Lolita, uh, Jeff Wadlow, Kick-Ass 2, some of the same names here. Uh, Tess Morris, uh, Man Up and The Love Punch. Uh, and ahead, Mark Perez is ahead of Jeff Hand, who was part of the Brother Bear writing team. Benjamin Glazer, who won an Oscar for writing Seventh Heaven a long time ago. And Jack Rose, who wrote A Touch of Class. Uh, acting, however, a couple more names in acting than those, though. Starting off, we have Kyle Chandler. He plays Jason Bateman's brother. This is the 12th film credit I've seen from him, and it decreases his film average film value to a 70.17. It is his first and only film rated in the 60s and ninth best movie overall, coming in ahead of The Kingdom and behind King Kong. Uh, he is, has a value of 9.5 and a score of 69.64, ranking him 168th overall. I'm always kind of surprised. There's a, there's a good handful of people on the spreadsheet that I always get surprised at how high they're rated, but you look at Kyle Chandler was in Zero Dark Thirty, Manchester by the Sea, Carol, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Spectacular Now, Argo, Super 8, King Kong. That's a lot of movies. And... Uh, they're all pretty good. Uh, he's one spot behind Rachel House, who is a frequent collaborator with Taika Waititi. And one spot ahead of Natalie Portman. Next up is Jeffrey Wright. He plays the actual... Um, F well, the fake FBI agent who is part of the murder we wrote Kyle Chandler party. Uh, he is, this is his 22nd film credit. He has an, improves his average film rating to a 61.55. It is his seventh film rated in the 60s and 13th best movie overall, coming in behind The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 and ahead of The Manchurian Candidate, the Denzel remake. It improves his value to a 6 and his score to a 62.42. He is now ranked 418th overall, one spot behind Paul Guilfoyle who was in Amistad, Air Force One, Spotlight, 
Quiz Show and LA Confidential, and one spot ahead of Burt Young, who was Oscar nominated for his performance in Rocky. Next is Jesse Plemons, one of my favorite parts of the movie. Uh, this is he plays the neighbor policeman to Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. This is his 12th film credit and improves his average film rating to a 63.333. It is his third film rated in the 60s and eighth film overall, coming in behind Oscar nominee The Post and ahead of Black Mass. He now has a film value of 6.5 and a score of 60.79. Puts him just behind Rod Steger from On the Waterfront, nominated for On the Waterfront and winning for In the Heat of the Night, Best Supporting Actor. And Jesse Plemons is one spot ahead of Robin Bartlett, who is in Inside Lewin Davis, Crimes and Misdemeanors, Sophie's Choice, Shutter Island, Moonstruck, and more. Next is Rachel McAdams. Uh, This is her 21st film credit and improves her average film rating to a 59.14. It is her fourth film rated in the 60s and 13th best film overall. Coming in behind Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. and ahead of Wedding Crashers. Uh, It improves her film value to a 3.5 and her score to a 57.5. Uh, She is now ranked 736th, tied with uh, Maury Sterling, Buddy Hackett, John Williams, Lionel Barrymore, who all have very small resumes for me at the moment. Puts her one spot behind Nikki Cat, who was in Insomnia, Behind the Candelabra, Dazed and Confused, School of Rock, The Dark Knight, and one spot ahead of Oscar Isaac from Annihilation. Next is Billy Magnuson, who plays one of the friends of Bateman and McAdams in the movie. He is kind of an idiot, we find out. Um, This is his eighth film credit, and I think this is the first time this has happened since I've done statistics episodes. It does not change his average film rating. It is a 65 even. It is his second film rated in the 60s and fifth best movie overall coming in behind Bridge of Spies and ahead of Into the Woods. Uh, He now has a value of 4.5 and a score of 56.5, ranking him 798th overall, tied with David Tennant and Crispin Glover. He is one spot behind Carl Urban, one spot ahead of Kurtwood Smith, Red from That 70s Show. Next is Jason Bateman. Uh, This is his 27th film credit and improves his average film rating to a 55.52. It is his fourth film rated in the 60s and ninth best movie overall behind Bad Words and ahead of Dodgeball, colon, a true underdog story. He now has a film value of negative 0.5 and a score of 51.19. He is ranked 1,276th overall, one spot behind Shia LaBeouf, and one spot ahead of Ruth Wilson. Ruth Wilson, who is in Saving Mr. Banks, Anna Karenina, and The Lone Ranger. Next is Danny Houston, who plays uh, a bad guy, to be generic. 
This is his 19th film credit and improves his average film rating to a 56.16. It is his second film rated in the 60s and ninth best movie overall, right behind 21 Grams and right ahead of Wrath of the Titans. He also has a film value of negative 0.5 and a score of 50.31, ranking him 1,365th overall, just behind Chad Lindbergh, who's in The Rookie, October Sky, The Last Samurai, and The Fast and the Furious. And Denny Houston is just ahead of Zachary Quinto, perhaps most recognizable from Heroes. Uh, he's also in Star Trek. I guess maybe that's more recognizable. Heroes, Star Trek. Eh, same. Uh, next is Sharon Horgan, who was someone who I added to the spreadsheet because of this movie. She plays one of the members of the game night party. She this is her. She has four film credits, and this lowers her average film rating to a 66 even. It is her second film rating in the 60s and third best movie out of four. It comes in behind Man Up and ahead of Imagine Me, Ampersand, You. She has a film value of 1.5 and a score of 45.5, which ranks her 1,886th overall, which is tied with a ton of people, including Blythe Dan... Excuse me, including Blythe Danner, uh, David Kelly, Kuvanzani Wallace from Beasts of the Southern Wild, Oscar nominee, uh, let's see, Ben Schwartz, and Catherine Zeta-Jones, and others. Uh, she is just behind Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters, and just ahead of Bruce Greenwood. Next is Dexter, also known as Michael C. Hall. Uh, this is his eighth film credit, and improves his average film rating to a 51. He also plays a villain. The, this is his third film, right in the 60s, and best movie overall, just ahead of Kill Your Darlings. He now has a film value of negative 2.5 and a score of 38.3. He's ranked 2,766th overall, tied with Jason Jones. Uh, I don't have a great way to describe him, but he was in Accepted, Pitch Perfect 2, The Night Before, All About Steve, Hot Tub Time Machine 2. Uh, Michael C. Hall is one spot behind Damien Bashir, and one spot ahead of Linda Hamilton. Next is Chelsea Peretti from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. This is her second film credit and lowers her average film rating to a 68.5. It is her first film rated in the 60s and second best film or worst film out of two overall. Behind pop star colon never stop never stopping. She has a film value of 1.5 and a score of 35.75. She is ranked 3,027th, tied with Anna Gasteyer, Gasteyer from Mean Girls, and Nev Campbell from Scream. She is one spot behind Edmund O'Brien, who was in The Wild Bunch and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and she is one spot ahead of Katie Couric, who generally just plays herself. And uh, we also have Lamorne Morris, uh, better known as Winston, from New Girl. This is his second film credit. 
and draw and raises his average film rating to a 46 even it is his only film rating in the 60s and best film coming in ahead of sandy wexler the adam sandler netflix movie about adam sandler as sandy wexler who is an agent it's not very good he uh, has a film value of negative 0.5 and a score of 22.5 ranking him 4008 uh, he is tied with alex pettifer among others one spot behind Keenan Thompson and one spot ahead of Jose Zuniga, who was in Constantine, the movie. And I think this is the last person, Kylie Bunbury, who she and, and uh, Lamorne Morris are one of the couples at Game Night. This is her only film. She has an average film rating of 65, one film rating in the 60s, and it's Game Night. She has a film value of 0.5, a score of 22.17, which ranks her 4,026th, tied with a bunch of people, including Angus McFadden. Fadian. Fadian. Fadden. Uh, one spot ahead of Alexis Knapp. One spot behind Hong Chow from Downsizing. Those are all of the actors. There are more actors I had. I think John Francis Daly is actually in the movie, but uh, I did not add him to the spreadsheet as of right now. Moving on to genres. Game Night is uh, rated a 65 in 2018. It is a comedy, improving the average rating of comedies to 54.7. It is a crime movie, improving the average rating of crime movies to 58.95. It is a mystery Improving the number of those to 55.85, and it is a thriller. Improving their average rating to 53.82. I clocked it at a 2 on the Bechtel test. Uh, I recall many conversations where two of the female characters talk about men, uh, or in reference to men. I do not remember one where they don't. And that's, that's where that ends up. So it's a 2, and uh, it is... Rated R for Game Night. Uh, no Academy Awards to speak of. I think it's unlikely it has any impact on the Oscars uh, in 20, the 2019 Oscars. So I would leave that blank for now, forever. Uh, but at the moment, it is very, very present in the Circle of Film Awards. Currently racking up 10 nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, two nominees for Best Lead Actor, in, uh, which are going to Rachel McAdams and Jason Bateman, two nominations for uh, Best Supporting Actor to Jesse Plemons and Kyle Chandler, nominated for Best Screenplay, nominated for Best Score, Best Special Effects, and Best Scene for the uh, Keep Away game. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, I'm not going to go into any more detail. Um, yeah, 10 nominations uh, puts it currently tied for nominations with Annihilation. Uh, Black Panther still leads all challengers with 18 nominations. And Peter Rabbit in fourth with eight. Everything else has three or less. Um, but slowly films continue to fall off of this list from the beginning of the year. The only ones still hanging on at the moment are Den of Thieves, Commute, The Commuter, Fifty Shades Freed, Forever My Girl, Proud Mary, The Cloverfield Paradox, Winchester, and Every Day. 
all have between one and three nominations. Uh, yeah. But there's only four good movies this year so far, in my opinion, that I've seen. And I haven't seen everything. Uh, so that's where that stands. Now, moving on to the year of 2018, Game Night is the 23rd film I have seen from this year. And it is one of the 357 films I have seen this calendar year. And that's about, uh, it's early March right now, so we're looking at 100 and 170 a month, give or take. Uh, it improves the average film rating of 2018 films to 30.74. It improves the tomato meter of 2018 films to 44.17. It is a comedy, the sixth comedy of the year. It is the third crime film of the year. It is the eighth mystery and the twelfth thriller. A lot of thrillers so far this year. It's the only category, genre, in double digits for 2018. Uh, With a two on the Bechdel test, it is part of the 17.39% of films with a two on the Bechdel test. And as an R-rated film, it is one of the seven with an R this year. Um, Yeah. R-rated, PG-13 is the most prevalent with 10 at the moment. R right behind with 7. Yeah, Game Night. That's, those are the stats for Game Night. Um, What are we looking at time-wise? 21 minutes. I'm not counting the intro. Um, Yeah, so I guess just to, before we transition into the Fantasy Movie League update uh, for the first week, of the spring 2018 season uh just a few added things i guess um i my 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 girlfriend and i are currently in the process of of moving her stuff into my place uh we have until the end of march to do so and i think what's uh, it was uh friday saturday friday thursday thursday when we moved uh, her bed over. Her bed's huge. I've been sleeping on this shitty sofa mattress, not sofa, or sofa bed that I got at Ikea for the last, oh boy, um, seven years or so. Getting rid of that thing, brought her bed over. Uh, and in, I don't know, things have been a little hectic for that reason. And so some of the earlier days, in the last week or so, there have been a few days where I've like kind of struggled to get to five movies a day, which is kind of the benchmark I'm looking for since I don't work, really. And some of those days I had to kind of pad the numbers with short films just to make sure I get there. But, and I, I don't mind that. I just, I don't like being forced to rely on that in, the, in this sense is what I, I guess what I'm getting at. So today... I really went went for broke, and I don't know if this is necessarily a record. I don't think it is. I'm pretty sure I've hit, uh, I've gone above this in a single day before. I just don't know that offhand. Uh, I know that in the past, I've the most prolific movie watching day has been an 18 movie day, which was back in 2013, 2014, or so. Uh, today, I ended up watching eight, uh, 20 films, uh, including four feature-length movies and 16 uh, short films for a total sum time, run time of about 550 minutes, 
which brings you to a little over nine hours of watching movies today. And when you factor in maybe a little more than an hour of transportation time to and from the movies, um, I killed about half an hour before midnight, um, putting in the stats for game night. I had to spend some number of time, some amount of time, like um, cooking and stuff. I don't know. It was a pretty full day, <laughs> all things considered. So yeah, I was really excited. Um, basically, you know, early in the mo- every month, I kind of just run down a lot of the names at the top of uh, the list for that month. So I ha- you know, I don't. I wait until like the middle of the month to record like the top 10 March born actors list or whatever month. So what I'll do is I'll go to March or I'll go to the actors list. I'll sort by birth month and I'll look down the list and see, look, let's pull out some of the names. Uh, M.M. Emmett Walsh, Arlie Ermey, William H. Macy, Lupita Nyong'o, Michael Caine. And I'll find as many short films as I can that these people have been in to kind of help expand their numbers and stuff. Uh, Letterboxd has been a fantastic source for this. I think, um, you know, Kira Knightley is further down the list as well. I think I watched five Kira Knightley shorts today, if not more. Uh, it's, there's a lot of them. <laughs> and so I'm kind of just trying to knock as many of those out of the way as I possibly can at the beginning of the month. I do that kind of every month. And then... And then I'll see I'll see how that affects the rankings, see if that changes much, and go from there to see like who I want to watch more films from. Compare and now that I can finally you know use this year's March compared to last year's March, and get a get a feel for okay, uh, Catherine Keener, I'd seen this many films of hers last year at the same time. I've seen four or five more since then. Do I want to watch more than that? Are there people that I've, I've seen 10 from? Are there people I haven't seen any from? Try to watch some of those, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So working on that, and today was a good day. A lot of films that I saw, 20. Um, yeah. The other feature films, I guess, I can say are Best Foot Forward, uh, which was is an older film from 1943 starring Lucille Ball. Uh, the plot involves, uh, my plot summary is, a young cadet invites Lucille Ball, playing herself, to the prom. She says yes, for publicity reasons. Uh, I watched the original Italian Job, starring Michael Caine. Uh, I prefer the second one, but, or not second one, but I f- f- prefer the remake with Mark Wahlberg. Not by a ton, but I think it's, overall, like it does the action and the heist parts better. Uh, but I think the tone in the original is is much stronger. And I watched, besides Game Night, I also watched The Thief and the Cobbler. This is, if you've never heard of this, this is a pretty interesting movie. It went through, like, production hell, from what I've learned. And it was, like, a work in progress for almost 30 years. And ultimately got taken away from the creator slash director at the end of its lifetime to be bastardized by Miramax and released in theaters as, like, a piece of shit, kind of. And so somebody, after... I think the creator died, and so a friend of his got their hands on the original material, the original footage, the original storyboards, and 
cobbled together uh, a, a makeshift version that was much more truer, much truer to the uh, original intent. And that is the version I watched. They called it the recobbled cut. And it's it's it would have come out in like '93. It has some striking similarities to uh, to Aladdin. Uh, a lot of comparisons to be made there, particularly with like some of the character uh, dynamics involved. But the animation for the parts that are animated and the style and and the design is is pretty incredible for a 19 an early 90s movie i was pretty impressed by some of the the effects that they had some of the uh j- just the animation that they used it was really impressive i don't remember movies like aladdin the little mermaid even like even some of the stuff in beauty and the beast seems very very pedestrian by in comparison and that was one of the reasons that I've read, at least, that like Miramax was like, uh, we don't like this because it's very different. We don't, you know, this isn't what animation has been doing. So we're going to try to change it and make it shittier. And yeah, it was, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was like a great movie or a good movie even, but it was definitely an interesting one. And uh, I've, I believe it's on YouTube. I would recommend just looking at it a little bit. Some of the character create designs are very interesting um there's a lot there's a chase sequence through a castle that's just phenomenal uh even like looking at it in relation to like some of the stuff we see now it's still pretty fantastic and yeah so i guess mild recommendation it's like an hour and a half long it's very short um yeah so that's game night those are those are the things those are the stats uh yeah and uh, now I'm going to move on to the Fantasy Movie League update uh, for Spring 2018, Week 1. We sink into our seats right as they dimmed out all the lights. A technicolor world made out of music and machine. I mean, how hard can that be? Week 1 of the Cinerealist Fantasy Movie League is in the books of the spring 2018 season and it's time to kind of take a look see how things shaked out shook out yeah uh, a lot of people went heavy on two movies in our league uh, Red Sparrow and Game Night and uh, while Red Sparrow looked pretty good on the very very early update from Deadline at like 20 million uh, it did end up falling just under, just shy of 17, so it was not a factor in the best performer race this weekend. However, it was considerably better than playing Death Wish, and turned out to be generally pretty good uh, in relation to most of the Black Panther days as well. But the best performer race came down to Game Night and Fifty Shades Freed, which, uh, you know, I, I had both of those really high on my projections, Although I did kind of have Red Sparrow higher, so, you know, big mistake for me. But my lineup did include two screens of Fifty Shades Freed, so I wasn't too upset. And there was definitely a path to uh, a perfect cineplex with my own lineup. Fortunately, Saturday's Black Panther was bonkers and hit 30 million. So the PC ended up being one Black Panther Saturday, three Red Sparrows, and four Fifty Shades Freed, which won Best Performer, edging out Game Night. 
finally in the actuals. Uh, so only one person had that lineup, and it was Director's Cut, who broke the streak, the broke the drought. Five straight weeks without a perfect cineplex in our league. Finally, we can erase that number as Director's Cut has found a perfect cineplex. And as the only person who did so, uh, they now lead the league for week one. And it is the third uh, week that Director's Cut has spent in the lead since joining uh, in the second week of fall, which is pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Uh, there were four people floating around in second that all played my lineup, uh, including myself, Raman, Rybone, and Shawbin. Five screens of Red Sparrow, one screen of Annihilation, and two screens of Fifty Shades Freed. Uh, that lineup came in about six and a half million shy of the perfect cineplex. So pretty, pretty solid numbers there. Uh, then elsewhere, you know, we had Sven Cinema, which who played no Fifty Shades Freed. Uh, Dan Bobsicle, who is new, I believe. Dan Bobsicle. Dan Bobsicle is new and played uh, four screens, Fifty Shades, Death Wish, Game Night, Shape of Water, Shape of Water. And then, you know, you've got Xanadu, who played Sunday from Black Panther and Seven Game Nights. A lot of big, heavy Game Night players uh, towards the bottom of the top ten. Uh, that that did really well, uh, just not quite as well as the people who played Fifty Shades, because Game Night, being priced so much lower, generally uh, knocked out any of the Fifty Shades screens they might have played. Uh, so a lot of, you know, when you look at the second page of the standings from week one, you know, a lot of mixed up lineups, not really any big consensus. Um, you know, a couple people who played a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Black Panther. You've got Red Sparrow from Perks Plex and fifteen seventeen to Paris, which didn't work out too great. Uh, Badass Cineplex led with Death Wish, which was not a, was kind of a mistake too. So a lot of variation uh, around our league, outside of the top like eight or so, uh, which uh, seems not great, but it actually didn't turn out too bad. Uh, you know, the the difference between the lowest scoring lineup that was actually set, which this week was the OJRB, unfortunately, uh, is, and the uh, winning lineup is approximately 38 million. And that's kind of a big hole to dig out of in the first week, but it's t definitely not insurmountable. And with the way James plays, uh, it is you know, either a home run or a strikeout. It feels like so, you know, week two's a home run, then good chance, good chance to slowly climb out of the hole, maybe all at once climb out of the hole. We'll see. Uh, moving on to some of the stats, uh, the only person with more than two best performers in their lineup was Director's Cut, who had the uh, perfect cineplex with four. Uh, as a per he has the only perfect cineplex of the season, won the only week of the season, and uh, has a hundred percent of a perfect season at the moment, obviously. Uh, Rybone, Raman, Shalban, and Plexi all have 94, roughly 94% of a perfect season at this moment. And then everyone down to 17th, which is badass in a Plex, has at least an 80% of a perfect season, which is pretty good. Uh, we'll see just how long those numbers can hold. Uh, this week seems to be pretty difficult, pretty touchy. Uh, you know, we've got five new movies in A Wrinkle in Time, The Strangers, with a subtitle... Uh, the Hurricane Heist, 
Gringo, and Thoroughbreds. So a lot of variation. You've got Shape of Water coming off a Best Picture win. Jumanji and The Greatest Showman are just incredibly incredible behemoths in how much they've held uh, from week to week. Black Panther is now a single screen for the first time in its fourth week. Uh, a Wrinkle in Time is priced above it, but that's going to be a close race for who's going to come out with more money there. And uh, The Strangers, it's a horror movie. We haven't had one in a couple of weeks, uh, quite some time, so it'll be interesting to see if that can actually uh, find a footing and, and strike pay dirt. But that is uh, the look around week one. Not a ton to get into. You know, it's only the first week, so we got a long way to go for this season. Congratulations, Director's Cut, on breaking the PC curse and uh, winning this week. And we're coming for you in week two. Good luck to everybody, and thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to get in touch with me, you want to contact the show, contact me, you can do that uh, through email, circleoffilm at gmail.com, or on Twitter at circleoffilm. I'm also on Letterboxd, uh, Stranger, S-T-R-A-N-G-A-H. You can check out the website, circleoffilm.com, for plenty of information and stuff like that. Or you can uh, support the show, if you uh, if you so wish, at patreon.com slash circleoffilm. Thank you once again, and as always... Have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same as you. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. So long, farewell, oh, I'll be the same. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.